One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that leverages the power of the song story to connect you with our guests. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Kristen Collins. Kristen is a former healthcare executive who thought that she was doing everything she could to live a vibrant and healthy life, but her health still struggled. She says her relentless pursuit to improve herself led her to open her heart to the world and share the lessons she has learned along the way, from better health and healing to connecting people through her creative charity and community involvement. She's the author of Her Phoenix Rising, A Journey to Health and Healing, which explores her journey to uncover the root causes of her ailments. She says along the way, she discovered that knowing and loving herself is essential to good health and the foundation for optimal well-being. She came our way via episode 179 guest Melinda Isley, and we couldn't be happier to have her in the song story hot seat. Hey there, Kristen. How you doing? I'm great, Mike. How are you? We're acting like it's all normal and calm here, but it's been <laughs> chaos for the last half an hour, hasn't it? You guys are crazy. We are crazy. <laughs> we just did a photo shoot. That was fun. Thank you for being a part of our photo shoot. That was an honor. Um, okay. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Brantford, Connecticut, which is outside of New Haven. Okay. Um, what was the musical background of your childhood there? Johnny Mathis. Oh. Yes. I met him once. Did you? Yeah, we can get to that. Keep going. <laughs> That's awesome. No, he, Johnny just rang through the house forever. Oh, wow. What were his, the songs like? What were his big Chances songs? are is yeah. what came to mind. I um I grew up playing golf and I got to uh, caddy in the Calvin Peak Coca-Cola Pro-Am at Fiddlesticks back in like 1985, 86. And it was a pro-am, so they would have a celebrity. It was a celebrity pro-am. And he was one of the celebrities, and I was in his group. I was caddying for the amateur, but I got to play 18 holes of golf next to – or, you know, carry a bag. That's amazing. So anyway, yeah, Johnny Mathis. Was he as nice as he seems to be? Uh, he, he was very quiet. Quiet. He was very nice, and there was lots of women around. And I didn't understand it. I was 15 years old. I was like, I have no idea who this guy is. Did you pick up any of his moves? <laughs> no, I don't think I did. Um, so your parents were playing Johnny Mathis? Yes. Yes, incessantly. That was it. That was it? That was it, literally it. Um, what were you thinking about that? I, um, you know, it was, it was really soothing background for me. I loved, and I've seen Johnny Mathis in concert probably I don't know, two dozen times. He just was a staple throughout. So I didn't know any other way. Yeah. And uh, it was definitely my first exposure and only exposure as a child. When were you then exposed to non-soothing music? Mm, middle school. And what was that? Um, oh, gosh, like Journey, uh -huh. you know, stuff like that, um, like uh, hip hop. Um, so it was when I got to middle school. And then I also, I grew up a ballerina. Oh. So it was a lot of classical music at you know, for that art. But then um, I branched out into some jazz and some other fun forms of dance. Then I started getting exposed to more pop music. So I've, I grew up liking all music starting in middle school. Um, do you ever play any instruments? Yes, I played the flute. So you were a flute player ballerina. Yeah, oh. I really was, never <laughs> thought of it that way because I was. <laughs> um, how far did you get with it? I made it through high school. And then there was just so many options and so many things to do. So the flute fell off. I did sing, um, though now I can't carry a tune to save my life. But back then I sang. And um, it was really um, – the flute fell off, but singing was really my passion. Did you sing like in musical theater singing or just – 
Yeah, explain that. Yeah, choir. Um, so not really theater. Okay, so choir, yeah. choral, that sort of thing. Yeah. Do you still do that today? I'm terrible now. Huh. It's really funny. Were you good back then, or were you just fooling yourself? Uh, listen, <laughs> listen. I was. I actually was really, really, really good. Huh. I sang in the um, quartet for our graduation. Oh wow! So you know, but I don't know what happened. <laughs> Did you stop doing it? No, I think um, there were other activities that probably put too. Much, I was a college cheerleader. And put a lot of strain on my vocal cords, probably. Yeah, no, that certainly would explain it, I would think. Um, what did your parents think of the music that you started bringing home that was not Johnny Mathis? I'm not sure that they really, like, paid a lot of attention to that. I can remember, like, being upstairs in my bedroom, rocking out, <laughs> singing my face off. But I, it wasn't something that I brought into our entire family. Gotcha. Yeah, so that was more of a private thing. And it wasn't that I was hiding anything. It just was... Johnny would play downstairs, and then up in my bedroom, I would sing away, you know, pretending I was Madonna and whoever else. Do you remember the first music that you owned? Sean mm. Cassidy. Sean Cassidy. Partridge family dude. Yeah. yeah. The little brother. <laughs> David's little brother. And Sean Cassidy was my first concert. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, my gosh. God bless my mother. I don't know. <laughs> She did that. But she took me to the New Haven Coliseum, which doesn't exist anymore. And I had my little ticket in hand and, you know, I was like crying. Um, I had the worst seats. But uh, it was really interesting to be in such a big environment with so many people experiencing emotion and just that whole energy level. So that that became my first experience. But it got me addicted to live music. Hmm. And still to this day, we I mean, live music is my favorite thing. Um, Sean Cassidy, what was his like, like, what were his hits? Oh, I can't, I I wanted to say something about, I I don't remember the literal songs, but they were super pop. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, like how do you get a 10, 10 year old to scream type of songs? (laughs) Probably had no depth at all, but heartbreaking. Did you have a brother or do you have brothers and sisters? I have a little brother. Did you influence his musical tastes at all? That's a great question. I'm going to say he influenced my musical taste. Mm. My, my brother's a, a— How much younger than he? He's four years younger. Oh. He also sang, um, but he, like, sang at Carnegie, and, like, he's done some really cool stuff with singing and was more in theater, um, than I, and I didn't get into theater. That wasn't my, my jam. But, yeah, my little brother, especially with, like, R&B and hip-hop, um, and he's a great dancer. Huh. So we, I used to sneak him into clubs, and he would, like, you know, be in dance-offs. So my brother's very musical and very talented. Has he been in many dance-offs lately? You know, it's hilarious. I brought him literally to a nightclub, and he was underage. We got him in, and it was, like, for $500, like, to win. And oh, he came in. It was he, competitive dance-off. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. We're going to get arrested. Um, and he came in second. And he was like a kid. It was amazing. I don't know if he could touch his toes now. I know I can't, so we won't judge him. <laughs> um, uh, do you have any musical memories stemming from your grandparents? Mm. No. No, because, again, Johnny Mathis would have been the one playing. Um, and we didn't live in the same town as my grandparents. Okay. So, And back then, you know, back then, which was quite a bit of time ago, um, we would see my grandparents. But we didn't have, like, regular connection because we lived 45 minutes away. And everybody was very blue-collar and worked, you know, really, really hard. So our family time to, like, sit around and jam to tunes, that, that wasn't a thing for us. Hmm. Did you ever make it into New York City as a kid? 
That's, oh, yes, I did. And I actually lived in New York City as an adult for oh, wow. 10 years um, because of going in as a kid. Huh. And we used to have, well, there's still Metro North. Um, I still love taking Metro North because that brings such great memories back of being on the train and being so excited to go in the city. So, yeah, I grew up getting to go in for the day, you know, on special occasions. Um, did you get to like have a Walkman or something like when you were on your way in on the train? Do you have any musical memories of that like that moment? So I, not when my mom well, – like at least once a year, my mom would take me in and we would just go walking around. We had no plans. So on that trip, I would talk to her a lot. But again, growing up a dancer and I was really lucky in middle school that one of the teachers would take me in to a studio in New York and have me take like six master classes. And then on the way home, on the train, I would be uh, doing the dances again, you know, because we were like studying their their steps. And sure, their, you were rehearsing. Their or, choreography. Yeah. And we're like, we love that move. Let's take that. So I can remember dancing to music on the train for that, um, which was just that's such a great memory. And what's even cooler about that is that my stepdaughter, out of we were in Florida, um, she got to dance up in New York, and it was at the same studio oh, wow. I used to go to. Isn't that well, wild? That is wild. <laughs> huh. um, what is the earliest musical memory you can recall if you try to dig back? So Besides um, Johnny Mathis. Yeah, and I trust <laughs> – did you notice how hard I had to work? I'm like, I'm promising you, Mike, it's going to be Johnny Mathis. No, um, I do remember there was an album that the Ohio State Marching Band recorded, and it, so, you know – Every Saturday, my, I was born at Ohio State. My dad was getting his PhD. At like the, on campus? At University Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so you are a Buckeye. I'm a Buckeye, but he only – I think I was there a year, year and a half. So he's, he was in his final stages of his education, but still to this day, I talked to my brother this morning, and I said, how are you? And he goes, I'm exhausted. I was up all night last night watching the Ohio State football game. So we're still Buckeyes because of that experience. But the marching band there – is so exceptional. Have you ever witnessed? I have not. You're going to have to check I didn't even know out. it was college football season. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get you out of this dungeon. <laughs> We've got to get you out of this podcast studio. Now, the Ohio State Marching Band is really special, and they have some, uh, some songs that are just classic. But even when they take on a new song, just their articulation and their choreography, and that's a really fun memory. So I rem the, one of my first memories of music is listening to the Ohio State Marching Band. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's get to your first song. Mm, oh, thank you. My first song and just the process of thinking about what would be the three songs that you'd you know, want to highlight because music's been such a, an important part of, of my journey and my life. Uh, the Dave Matthews Band, we have a – my husband and I have a 21-year history of being just total groupies. <laughs> Our dog is named Beauford um, after Carter Beauford. Uh -huh. And um, the first concert my husband took me to when we were dating about seven months was a Dave Matthews concert. I had never heard of the band before, and I didn't know any of the songs or the words, but there was just something really magical about that band. So – I defaulted into thinking about, you know, how did Dave Matthews touch my life and what's a great memory. Um, so the the one I selected actually wasn't all positive. Um, we were at the Gorge, which is a pretty cool place to see Dave. And 
Leroy had just passed. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember they were they canceled Los Angeles. And here we are in Florida getting ready to fly to Washington, D.C. with friends of ours. We were like, I'm sorry, Washington State for the gorge. And I'm like, I don't we don't know if the concert's going to go on. Should we get on the plane? And we went. And so the first show back after Leroy passed, um, we were there. And the impact that that embedded just in me as a whole person, um, it was probably our like between 20 and 30th show. And to date, we've seen um, 51. We saw two this summer. Um, So we were about halfway through our our fanism. And to see the band come out and just, they wanted to be there for each other. They wanted to be there for their fans. They wanted to be there and honor Leroy. Um, But they were just dying. I mean, Boyd just had tears coming down his face. And Dave was just staring out at the crowd like, do you understand what just happened? So it was really moving, and they probably paused, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes and just let the crowd, you know, celebrate the life of Leroy. And uh, when they started playing, it was 41. That was the first song. That was the first song. And 41, <sighs> is a, as I know you know, yeah, is yeah. a very special song. And, and so why I selected it, A, was that, that memory of life is precious, life is short, Um you know, grieving of a loss uh, with a tragic accident. So you just don't know. Also, the the song itself is Dave's journey from just being a very purposeful, soulful guy and, you know, bringing together these incredible musicians. I mean, I, I don't still to this day know any band that can create in real time like they do and just get such joy and energy off their their relationship and their music together. Um, but that story of 41 is about when he was sizing, when he was coming of age and the band was coming of age and that struggle between he just wants the music and others now are getting into the business of music and how do you balance that? And then you see true colors of people coming out that maybe aren't wonderful. So that was really, really moving. So, for, And when I listened to 41 – it just it gives me ch- it just sinks into my soul. So he that's made a, my first he song. made a song story for you literally, and here we are talking about it. And just for the listeners who may not be aware, so Leroy Moore was the saxophone player, yeah. who was just I mean, like you said, they're all phenomenal. Um, that first show, did they have somebody? I mean, they must have had somebody, right? What was they did? Who was it? Somebody Jeff. that is it still who they have yeah, now? Yeah, it was Jeff Kaufman. And what's neat about that is a couple shows before. I can't, I can't, probably a year or two before, uh, we were in New York um, for this really cool festival that they played. And Bella Fleck and the Flecktones um, played before Dave, and Jeff was the um, horn player for them. And I mean, they're incredible, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So all of a sudden now Jeff's on stage, and I just had such immense admiration for this guy who was able to, in like a week's turnaround, mm-hmm step into those shoes. I mean, no one can ever replace Leroy, but if you're going to try, Jeff was the perfect person. And, you know, I I like watching that that band and him in the band and seeing how he's really come into his own, but I still feel like, you know, there's an honoring to Leroy as an original band member. Um, So that was a really touching 
experience. Hmm. Does your dog Beaufort uh, play the drums with all four paws and legs and chew gum at the same time? <laughs> I, don't you love that our dog's name is – and people are like, why would you name him Beaufort? I'm like, isn't that the coolest name? Carter Beaufort on the drums. Carter Beaufort on the drums. Okay, this is number 41 by Dave from his 1996 album Crash. So when uh, Leroy Sachs' solo came in, how did the new guy handle it? Mm. Did he play it on – album or did he you know what i mean like because mm. you know you've heard a thousand times and they might um you know he might riff on it differently further into a long jam of it but typically you'll come in and you'll play it a certain way did the new guy play it the same way and what did that feel like because mm. i could feel it through your story mm. from my memory you know I'll, i'm gonna go back and watch it now or listen to it and yeah. see if i'm right i i was holding my breath for him you know because i was just like in awe of his courage to take that on yeah and um, so in my memory, it was it was album. It was spot on. Um, now what's cool is, in my opinion, he ha- he's in his own. Like he still honors the tradition. Right. But, but he's, he's, he, made, he's made it his own. He riffs like the best of them. I need to like listen to Modern Dave. I haven't listened to Dave for so long. I'm so remiss. Well, and it was interesting going back this year because we hadn't been to a concert in like two and a half sure, years. Yeah. And actually the Isleys were gracious enough to invite us to West Palm. So that was our 51st show this year. Dave sounds so good because he's so rested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were talking about you know damage on vocal cords before. Um, he sounded on fire, and they have seen so many different changes from the original band, right? And now they've got this guy um, playing. I don't know if it's organ or piano or whatever the actual keyboards are, but his name's um, Butch, I think. And this guy hmm. is just adding a whole new element. All new to me. You got to check it out. Huh. You got to check it out. Um, I, I, we met, we chatted briefly against the rules during the song, but that's okay. Sorry. Uh, no, no. Um, you had mentioned you what said which version was that? That's the studio version. That was, I mean, that's the version on Crash. It may have been recorded live because sometimes they did mm-hmm. live songs wound up on albums. But I said I sometimes will go in and try to find a live version to give you the, the guest a choice, and there was just a gazillion because that's how they roll. Um, but the one I wanted to bring up is: Have you seen probably? He did like a little pandemic session where it's just him with his guitar. And he, they, he had that. He did that one. I mean, that was one of the songs that he did. Right? I saw that one. Um, that was amazing. right? And he was so goofy. Oh, he's yeah. Like, you know, I, he was like, <laughs> I'm in my bedroom. <laughs> and he had no idea how to interact because he's someone that does get the energy off the crowd. And then I saw another one he and Carter did. I don't know. Did you see that one? No. So Carter Beaufort, my you know my dog's namesake, um, had they were in separate. There was a big old panel between them for COVID reasons. But he and Carter did a jam session that was live, and it was so fun because their energy of communicating and you know just being together was just so captivating because it's all the energy of that band. They just flow together. I feel like I've watched them all grow up. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I I get it, and I you know. I didn't know the story behind that song. So like the short version of what you just – I just kind of listened to it through that, which is really interesting for me. But like that song has like a whole different thing for me. You know what I mean? Like I have my own places that I go to and the time that that takes me back to. And so it means something similar in a way but different. Mm. But it's still – there's a lot of emotion in it. And I think that's what's so cool about the band, but also that song in particular is that you don't even have to know what a single word is. There's just something that resonates and just stirs deep inside just from the music, never mind the the literal words or lyrics. 
it's an incredible song in the band. I just cherish how you can go from show to show to show and see completely different experiences and hear the same song sometimes presented completely different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that cool? So speaking of pandemic, real quick before we move on, um, you mentioned uh, Bella Fleck and the Fleck Tones. Yeah. Um, did you happen to catch what he and his wife and his kids were doing during the pandemic? No. Uh, what was it called? Oh, gosh. It was like um, they had a name, that was like a little – they basically would sit around and play their banjos in their basement. Basement bash or it was pandemic basement bash. They did it like every Friday at 6.30 p.m. and it went on for about an hour and their kids would be running around and they and it was him and his wife just – they would go live on Facebook. There was maybe six to 10,000 people watching and it was the only thing that was appointment watching for me. During the pandemic. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to look back. I, it's all. I, on I, I bet it's all still there. Yeah, love it. And you know who else was at that festival? I was thinking of this when I was listening to the the music. Was um, Warren Hayes and Government Mule. Mm-hmm. That would that they also performed, and then Warren came up on stage at that concert. And I love how. And I know other bands do this too, but I love when they pull in someone from the outside to jam out a song or two. And that's always my favorite part of the concert. Like, who are they gonna bring out? Yeah. Um, so you ballerina. Mm. Some flute, mm. high school cheerleader, mm-hmm. college mm-hmm. cheerleader. Mm-hmm. So where'd you go to college? Connecticut. So UConn. UConn. Okay. Hus- Hus- go Huskies. <laughs> I'm proud That's of you. Pretty good. I know. How the I, heck did you know that? I did. I was trusting myself <laughs> because good. I had no confidence that, was that it good. was going to be correct. It's in there. Um, so, like, when you went to college, mm. what did you go to college for? Mm. Were you going to college to be a cheerleader or were you going to college to do something and cheerleading was the thing? Or what was that all about? Yeah, cheerleading was secondary. I uh, went to college at UConn. Uh, I only applied to two schools, ironically. And uh, I was I had a neighbor who was a dean at UConn. And so she had kind of embedded in me um, the UConn thing, but I had never visited. Uh, it was an incredible experience. And what I went there for, I didn't know. I just was blessed to know I'm going to go on to a higher educational experience. Right. But to study what, I changed my major seven times. Well, what did you start with? Oh, gosh. That's a great I think I know I can remember now actuarial actuarial. I don't even know how to spell that. You were going to be an insurance adjuster. <laughs> I, <was> like, yes. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. And thank God I changed my major seven times. But uh, and I loved how we were talking um, to Jared before about how, you know, when you find that purpose and you, you figure out what, you know, what you're meant to do. I didn't find that in college uh, like, you know, he did or he is literally in front of our eyes. I think it's like I think it's better. Oh, my God. This is the first time I'm hearing myself through the headphones on this new board. Sorry. Um, I think it's better <laughs> when you don't necessarily know what you're doing. Like, like you have a vague idea, right? You have a certain path that you're going to take, but you have no idea what, like, the the pavement's made out of. You know yeah. what I mean? So, so as you keep stepping, you discover, oh, I like this. Let me take this yellow brick road, you know? And, and this is kind of what I found through here. You know, so yeah. So what was your yellow brick road? What was your last major? <laughs> yeah. And Jared, I love that reflection. It's so true. I think college is the the genre that you can self-discover, you know, through trial and error. And gosh knows there's plenty of error along the way. Um, you find out what you're good at or what, what lights you up. And uh, you also hear feedback, you know, because you're not, you're not growing up in your hometown and, you know, living in a shadow or it's just a new environment where you can really explore as a young adult. And um, I ended up a major in education. And it's funny because my dad was a college professor and I didn't want to be a teacher. 
I didn't want to be a teacher. And then, you know, seventh major, I ended up getting um, an undergrad in secondary education and history. And I not only loved teaching, I did teach for two years, but it was some really foundational information experiences that literally came and still to this day um, I cherish because even raising my stepkids, how I interfaced with them um, came from a lot of the information and experiences that I had as that undergrad. Um, Any peak or memorable concerts or other musical experiences from the Yukon days? There's so many, Mike. My God. And being um, What were you listening to by then? Like what was It was all what over were your the college place. years yeah. of musical. And you know it's funny, I, I I did reflect on that and almost brought that into the space with you because there's great memories of like the Steve Miller band in Boston. Uh, yeah. Just like cranking that U two Joshua like don't even get me started. Loved all that stuff. UB forty came um to our amphitheater or to our theater and I um, was an usher. Oh, wow. <laughs> and got I, to see the show for free. And I purposely, when they rushed, I made sure I got caught. So I was leaning up against the stage all the time <laughs> as an employee. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. I was a model employee. Um, but then on the flip side, being um, lucky enough to be able to, to be on the squad, that was a very um, musical and a different sure. realm. Sure, yeah, yeah. And just being able to express self and, you know, root for school and all that kind of good stuff. Um, my gosh, my college roommates and I, we used to go out dancing like almost every night because that was just such a great way to blow off steam. And so club music and stuff like that yeah. was also something I enjoyed. So what did you do after college or how did you connect the dots from college to Lee Health? How's oh, that? Wha- listen, Is that too much time li- for no, that? I'm not doing that to you. Okay. It's insane. I can sum it up very quickly. Sum it up though. very quickly. Yeah, I did um, become a teacher. I went back to my hometown and I taught in my own middle school. But this was in 90 and 91. Oh, you taught in your middle school I you went to? I did. Wow. With, I, we were a team of teachers at that school. So there were five of us and three of the five were my teachers. Wow. How cool is that? Yeah. So that was a total mind blow. And being so young and then I coached the high school and I coached a college in that area um, while I taught. So it was a really, really cool experience. But it was in 90 and 91. And for I don't know what the economy globally was, but I can tell you the economy in the Northeast was horrible. So I got laid off. And then I got brought back in. Then I got laid off again. And I'm like, this is insanity. I can't like it's ripping my heart out. The kids are crying. I'm crying. So uh, my college roommate was a flight attendant. And so I became a flight attendant. Wow. And that's how I got to live in New York City for a bunch of years and see incredible things. And it was because of that college roommate, Dana, and um, the just the exposure that I got from being a flight attendant. I came down to Southwest Florida for a year to play golf. You're a golfer. I was a golfer. I wanted to spend more time. I, <laughs> I, I can play golf pretty well, but I wanted to just live in Naples for a year and just, you know, get out of the city, which I had just gone through a divorce. I was like, I'm out. And the first day I got here, that same darn college roommate introduced me to my husband. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> you got stuck. I, I got swept up. <laughs> hmm. Um, I want to talk about golf a little bit. I love that. Please. Because <laughs> uh, I played golf in high school. I know. I played for Fort Myers. I worked at the Broken Niblick. Um, that's how I met Mike Cannington. No way. Who is hey, Mike. Two, hey, I was going to say next week's episode, but it's actually two weeks ago's yeah. episode, listeners. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> um, so do you still play? 
I do. I play once a year, so I'm not like claiming to be a golfer yeah, anymore. But I, I mean, I'd it's be, in there. We should go play golf. <laughs> I'd feel very comfortable with you. Um, I when I get back out there, it'll be interesting who I am that vulnerable with. I love it, and I can usually pick it back up when I do. But I haven't swung in probably a year. Here's the trick that me and my buddies have figured out because we do play over Christmas. That's kind of our once a year that we play, and we all grew up playing. I mean, at Fort Myers High School. If you Fort played Myers at Fort Country Myers Club. High, then you were good. Uh, no, yeah, we were all good players. Like we were all competitive golfers. Um, but today we're not so much anymore. So what we do is we play a four-man scramble of the foursome, um, and we all just you know play. You know, we basically play a four-man scramble so we can all sit with each other for every shot. So it stopped being competitive about four years ago for us, and now we just sit there and go out there and hit golf balls. I love playing scrambles. You yeah. know, it's like, all right, that was horrible, so we're not going to waste our time. <laughs> yeah. It's taking the best of each of us and yeah. enjoying it. No pressure. Music playing. Cooler in the bag. <laughs> um, okay. Um, do you remember the first song you slow danced to? Oh, my goodness me. How's that for a... That was a, that was a curveball. You got me like out in a golf course and in love with my husband. Um, do you remember the first song you danced to with your husband? I, I, <laughs> it was definitely a Dave Matthews song for sure. But I think the first song that I slow danced to was not in a romantic way, but it was through dance as a oh, – yeah. Okay. So it was really cool. I partnered – you know, a gentleman was my partner, and we – I don't remember the the song or the lyrics, but I remember the feeling of slowly moving to music. Um, and because, you know, when you th- I think about music, I think about active or, you know, rocking out. <laughs> yeah. And um, in that case, it was really getting in tuned at a, at a deeper level with less movement. You know what I'm saying? And that was at a young age. Mm. So, um, yeah, I cherished David and I actually were my husband and I were actually slow dancing. Your husband in our, is named Dave. Yeah. yeah. And we were actually slow dancing in the kitchen last night. So I love slow dancing. To what? Uh, no, to no music. To no music. Were you each hearing a different song in your Probably. head? Probably. <laughs> A hundred percent, actually. <laughs> how do you, besides Dave, how do, Dave Matthews Band, uh-huh. how do you two, um, how does your music correspond or not? Are mm. there any, like, uh, divergences? Yeah. yeah, for sure. So my husband is, um, I think, a British rocker reincarnated. <laughs> he grew, And he's, he's really the music buff. I love music, but he's the music buff. We have an actual record player, and um, sometimes we'll just put on records or – some Friday nights when we're exhausted, we'll we'll watch an entire concert on YouTube. Like, so we're really into it. But my husband had that British influence when he was formative, and so that that rings through. We love um, classic rock. Um, he tolerates my country. I'm a country girl. Um, he does not like hip hop, and I don't I don't necessarily like hip hop, but I like that kind of like lounge music. Right. You know what I'm talking the, about? The slow jam kind of yeah. stuff. It's like kind of in the background. You don't need words. You just find your head bopping. Is there anything of his, though, that you don't like? You kind of said he doesn't really like your, your country or your slow jam, but what about you on him? So, I, th- you know what? I'm almost positive that he doesn't impose that on me. And I'm, I'm thinking, like, I don't, I don't not like Pink Floyd, but that would not be what I would play, you know? Don't not like not play. You got all kinds of. There's like a that's all twirled up. Let me try, let me try it again. Let me try it again. No, I think we you know, got you. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like he's not going to put Pink Floyd on with me, right. um, because I think we just know. But it's not like oh, I can't 
play Pink Floyd because she doesn't like it. It's just not what lights me up. Right. But we definitely have diverse. And he also opened up, now that, now that I'm thinking about it, um, growing up in the Northeast as a dancer, living in New York City, appreciating theater. Oh, my God, I love theater. And so when we started dating all the way through now, he opened up to musical Musicals, musical theater, yeah, yeah, like Broadway, you know, Broadway, and so he gets it, he he appreciates it, and so that's been really fun because I think I've opened his eyes in some ways, and he's opened my eyes. Hmm. Do you go before? I mean, before the these times, did you spend much time at like Barbara B. Mann or Broadway Palm seeing musical theater with him? Absolutely, we were season ticket holders for uh-huh. I think ever, like as long as I can remember at Barbara B. for their. Um, their series that they do for the, the stuff that they bring in each year. And then we pick up tickets all the time. Uh, I love Florida Rep. We would go down and see that. And so and then we travel to the Northeast because all of my family is still there. And now our daughter just relocated to New Haven for the next two uh. years. We're all excited. So not yet, but we look forward to. Um, we always fly in and out of either Boston or New York and catch theater when we're up there. What's the furthest you've ever traveled for a Dave show? I think I'm going to say the gorge logistically. Yeah. But we have – and it's so fun for us and it's a marital vow promise that we made to each other that as long as they're playing, we're going to do this. And each year when the shows are announced, we pick like, okay, where, where haven't we been? Where can we go explore as a destination? Understood. You you blend your travel itinerary with where they're going to be playing. Yeah. And that's just opened up like we've gone to places we wouldn't have gone to and had experiences. And that's just been so fun. Have you ever traveled to see another band that isn't, you know, as awesome as them? Well, it's funny you <laughs> ask that because both of my other cho- choices are uh, are both people that we've traveled. Um, oh, really? To, yeah. <laughs> telling you mike we're into this hold that thought for a second um we'll get to that here we'll get to your second song in just a little bit but i just want to uh, try to paint a picture of you know how you consume your music mm. these days i mean mm. you mentioned a record player mm. how big is the record collection how fancy is the record player and if you're not listening to it that way like how are you listening to music through mm. your life that's a great question um the record player it's cute um my husband's children purchased him remember when the record players came back out as a thing, yeah. it was probably like, what four or five years ago. So for Father's Day, they bought him a record player, and I was like, "That's such a cute idea." And my husband had a gigantic album collection in college, and somebody stole like most of his records, and he was devast like devastated. Yeah. So when records started becoming, he had one crate that has been with him the twenty one years I've known him. But recently he started purchasing more. And so when we just reloc, we just moved. Um, we sold our family home of 18 years and we bought a condo. And the record collection and the record player came. And I set it up in our living space as something that we can really enjoy. So it's kind of central in our condo. It has its own area. And so when we first were getting settled in, we were starting to play records and uh, the quality just wasn't that good. So now I don't know what it literally is, like the name of it or anything like that. But let me tell you something. We've got an amazing turntable. So it's been upgraded. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. With all, you know, amazing That was his department. (laughs) He, He took that a whole level up. So that's the number one way we consume it. And then, you know, I don't really listen to music. I don't drive very far. You know what I mean? So 
that's not really a thing. I don't listen to music in the car. Unfortunately, usually I'm working on the phone. But as I think I referenced before, one of my favorite things to do is like on a Thursday or Friday night when I'm too tired to go out. But, you know, we literally will put a concert on. Often it's Dave, but not always. Or watch a documentary on a group. So I consume my music a lot from when I'm just at the end of the day, just unwinding and then just selecting. I mean, we just watched the documentary about the Bee Gees. Mm. I just watched the series about um, R. Kelly. Oh, I heard about that. Oh, my gosh. That blew my mind. Mm. And, you know, I wasn't really at all tuned into his music, but then they kept, like, flashing. I'm like, I know that song. I know that song. So I consume it mostly through channel surfing um, and finding, I mean, I, I... genres and, and performers that I don't necessarily follow because if I'm going to choose, it's Dave or Zach. There's a um, – I can't remember what it was called. Somebody brought it up on the show probably two years ago now. Um, it's like Netflix for band – for concerts. It's, mm-hmm. like a, it's like a service you pay, six ninety nine a month, and it has this gigantic catalog of high-definition, high-fidelity concerts. So look it up. I'm going to have to. Yeah, I can't remember what it was called, but somebody who was really into that, you know, it's, you know, you can find a lot of stuff on YouTube, obviously, but this was something that's going to be things maybe you can't find. I so love that. Check Thanks that for that out. hot tip. That's You're fabulous. Welcome. Okay, time for your second song. Mm. Sorry, real fast. I think the one that we, I don't remember if it was Quello that we saw, but that sounds right. Yeah, Q E L L O. Um, hold on. Yeah, so like on... Are you on, as loud in the recording as you sound in my ears? Is it super loud in your ears? Ooh. Let's try this. How's that? That's perfect. Okay. Um, yeah, there's there's one called Quello, which is like a subscription service, and then you can, you can watch like old concerts and music documentaries and stuff. Love that. Yeah, Quello. Thank you. Quello. Something like <laughs> what, that. Yeah, I already said it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So the second selection that I made as I was reflecting and <clears throat> Jason Mraz is I wanted to I was trying to find a female artist because I there's so many female artists that I love and I sing my face off too even though I can't sing anymore but um Jason we saw him open for Dave Matthews huh. at Wrigley and here's this short little spunky guy running around the stage and he brought out um a, a whole chorus that were up on these bleachers, and they all had on the Cubs, or the uh, yeah, the Cubs shirts with Mraz on the back, and they were just soulfully rocking out. And Jason just lights up; um, he just lights me up. So we started. I started really following him. Was that how you were introduced to him? Yes. Ah. I'm like, who's this dude? I've got to know who he is. And we have traveled some because I've asked, like, can we go see Jason? And actually, I, I, he's he. Not today, but he literally was just doing a little bit of touring. And I was like, I've got to go track that guy down because he just brings me such joy. But the song I selected um, was one. David and I, my husband and I, were together about 14 years at this time. And I think I mentioned before that I had been married. And I was married. I was I was in that relationship for a long time, but I was married a very short time. And I was very, very devastated by the um, ending of that marriage. It was not something that I solicited. (laughs) And so I hadn't been in a long-term marriage before. And just, you know, we were at like 14 years together, which for me was a a lifetime. And I think some of the guarantees that I had in my head that came with relationship came with a lot of 
control or you promised or you were this way when I met you or this is how it was. (laughs) And after you're with someone for a while, that probably is very suffocating. And I was starting to grow as a human and as a woman. And um, I had spent a lot of years um, being a, a wife and a stepmom. And my those were our priorities as a couple, right, was, was me supporting the family. And David was our breadwinner. And I had started to grow as just a woman. And the kids didn't <laughs> necessarily need me anymore. And Jason came out with this song. And um, I was sitting in our living room with David. And we were listening to it. And I couldn't breathe because this song, first of all, just Jason's raw talent. And again, just the chord that it strikes in me musically is so stirring. But the the message behind the song is one of, I can, I'm going to start crying now. Um, I love you so much that, and I support your transformation, you blossoming like a lotus flower, you figuring that out. I'm going to accept you in your most beautiful state, in your most ugly state. Um, and I'm going to be here waiting while you go out and explore who you are. And that's why I selected this song. Um, paint a picture of the living room that you were mm. sitting in. Let's listen to this through that. We were so blessed to have a magical family home that my husband provided. And we had brown gorgeous plush leather couches and a giant television and waterfront to my right and the tranquility of our space, the um, comfort of our home. Our daughter was there. Um, and when this when this song just started surrounding us in this living room, it just, it totally transcended me. Let's listen to it. Uh, I Won't Give Up by Jason Mraz from his 2012 album Love is a Four-Letter Word. I won't give up so what were you uh, doing during that song? I have so much admiration just for – he's like an – Jason sounds like an angel in my ears right now as I'm listening. And I'm reflecting on – my husband taught me what real love is. Right, And I thought I understood what love was or I had my own definition of love. But if you're going to go long haul with someone and you're really, you really do love them unconditionally, it's about that whole person being with another whole person and supporting the growth and, and transformation and change and, and challenges. And we had been together about 13, 14 years and life you know, had its ups and it had its downs. And historically, how I managed downs – was to withdraw or run. <laughs> like if things weren't going well, I was like, oh, that must mean this is the end because we're fighting or, you know, we don't get a, whatever. We don't agree. And when you're, I was at that 14-year mark and it was amazing because I was ready to, to grow and I was with a partner who 100% supported that and encouraged it. And I think fell more in love with me through my growth. And so that song just, it just takes my heart and it just holds it. (laughs) And I think it's just so important to understand that, that, you know, we're not here to constrict one another. We're here to support one another. And I'm so blessed that I have a partner that does that. 
There's that line toward the beginning where it says, uh, what did I, what I wrote down in response to it. So what did you find? Mm-hmm. I'm still finding. Okay. I'm still finding. I found at that moment in time that it's essential. It's beautiful. It is love to support one another's exploration and journey and change because that's the only guarantee in life is change. And if you're going to hang on to a stagnant, I, well, this is how it was when we met or this is how it was when we said I do, you're going to put way too much strain on self and, and each other. So at that time, I don't know if I had that clarity, um, but I promise you reflecting back now 10 years later, I'm just in awe of how much I've changed and how much I've grown and how much I've been blessed to experience because I have a spouse that 100% supports that exploration uh, in a very calm, quiet. British rocker kind oh, yeah. of way. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. That was awesome. <laughs> Are you familiar with Jason Mraz at all? Do you follow his music? I know his name, and now I've heard a song. (laughs) He's a cool dude. We like him. Pardon me for a second. I dropped my reading glasses, but we can't go on and on. No, that was really nice. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and I I like lyrics, and those are, you know, really good. And I like, you know, not all my music has to have some sort of message in it, but that certainly does. Yeah. So, you know. And I think all three of my artists blend just raw talent and and connectivity of instruments and stuff with lyrics. And what I find so cool is often I'm drawn by the the sound, and I have no idea what they're saying. Um, and then all of a sudden, I understand what they're saying. Maybe I've grown into it. Like I, I wouldn't have the capacity. And I think Jason. Actually, all three of my artists were ahead of me with their evolution and their awareness of self and or world or whatever we want to call it. So I always got a kick out of when all of a sudden I understand what they're saying. And I'm like, oh, my God, yeah. did you know that's, you know. I had a lot of that with Dave, and I'm sure you did too, you know, because at first I heard it. And at that, you know, I was like, I want to understand the lyrics, and I'm not getting what you're saying, man. And then suddenly it's like, I think it's like reading Shakespeare. It's like it's like gibberish. And then suddenly it goes, boom, and it like turns into a language. And it's the same thing with Dave Matthews for me. It was like, oh, my God, you're really deep, dude. You're writing good lyrics, but I couldn't understand. All of them are genius. All three of mine are, ge- are absolutely <laughs> geniuses. And then Jason played Barbara B. Um, I'm going to guess it was, I don't know, I think it was like four years ago. And we went and I have gone through a lot of evolution, especially the past five years. And Jason had all of us, the whole auditorium, um, Mm. together, Mm. the sound of the universe. We all ummed. And I'm just looking around and I'm like, I can't even believe that 1800 of us right now, because Jason asked us to, we're all umming. It was beautiful. Think of how diverse that audience was in terms of like ways of looking at the world, music, art, togetherness. Have you ever heard him play that song? Did oh, he play yeah. that song then that night? I, I can't remember if literally that night, but I've seen Jason, I'm going to guess a dozen times at least. And I, I've absolutely seen him live. I've seen him in amphitheaters. I've seen him in enclosed theaters. Um, he's, he's one of my three. Have you seen anyone else more than 10 times? Well, it'll be my third artist, <laughs> ironically. And then outside of those three, the answer is no. I've seen some 
people more than once, but these three take up probably my budget and then my time allotment. And right now that's just who I'm tracking with. What's your favorite kind of show? It seems like you're like totally into music concerts here. So I'm going to take a little time on this. Like what's your favorite kind of music to go to? Is it like the the amphitheater setting where you're either on lawn chairs or blankets? Is it in a place like Barbara B. Mann where you're sitting in a, you know, more of a captive audience where people have to focus? Like what what's your jam? Mm. It's it's evolved, right? It was definitely uh, a space where the artist and I could be free. <laughs> so I don't want a cut and dry experience where you're going to play the three and a half minute song and it's very produced, right? I want them to to just that this is what's coming up tonight. So I like that from the artist. I need to be able to move. I don't need to like dance my you know my head off or anything like that, but. I don't want it where if I am suddenly like feeling like moving or raising my hands or standing up, God forbid, I don't want the person behind me yelling at me. And I know we've all been to concerts like that. I think where I'm at today is is more of an intimate setting. So um, I was blessed to be up in Boston a few weeks ago, and um, we were in a lounge at the uh, new Encore, which is a John Wynn property, um, very similar to the Encore. It's exactly the same as the one in Vegas. And we were sitting in their downstairs lounge, and three incredibly talented musicians were playing. And I was like, this is my favorite to just be here, you know, intimately. So when we do go to concerts, including Dave and Zach, who we've seen this year, I, I can't be on the lawn anymore. Be, you know, if the people around me are too busy um, visiting with yeah, one another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I'm like, hi, you guys can visit outside. You didn't have to <laughs> pay all this money to be here. You got Dave Matthews in front of you. Yeah. He hasn't toured in two years. Like, pay attention. So I need to um, be in a situation, probably a seat, or at least have my, you know, foot by foot or whatever the, the physical space is that I can be and not worry about getting trampled by a crowd or, you know, pushed around. And I can really plug into the experience of the concert. What's the smallest venue you've ever seen Dave at? Oh, smallest venue would be Dave and Tim. You know how he does that? Tim Reynolds. Yeah. Sometimes he and Tim will take a year. The guy that plays the guitar like a alien. Right. (laughs) And talk about being on fire this year. He's enjoyed his time off, too, because he's on fire. We actually saw Tim play in it was West Palm, I believe, in a in a club after a Dave show. Hmm. He went over, and there was only like two hundred of us there. But that was Tim. So I would say for Dave, it would be um, when he and Tim have toured, and we were up like in the Carolinas and saw them and some smaller venues. On the flip side, um, I've. And very blessed to see some intimate concerts, but not with Dave. I've met Dave. What? Yeah. Tell us that story. A, a couple times, actually. At the Gorge was when we were invited um, backstage and um, got to have dinner with the band. And we've met, I've gosh, I think we've met everybody um, in the band at different times. We met Carter on the beach in West Palm. We met Boyd behind stage. We've... <clears throat> Been behind stage at Dave a couple times. It's been pretty cool. I just decided that if I ever meet him, because I always refer to him as Dave, even though the band is Dave Matthews Band, I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna say hi, Dave Matthews Band. How are you? So nice to meet you, Dave Matthews Band. <laughs> he is the he's so 
again, he's a genius, right? The guy's a genius. So, and, you know, you wonder, like, how much of this is natural? Is there any alternative state? Like, what's going on for you? I don't know that answer. His brain just synapses, like, so fast. Uh, he's as quirky. I bet. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, his scatting, which I love. Like, watching Dave dance and scat, you're just like, what are you – like, what is going on in yeah. here right now that you're expressing in your body? It's Awesome. And he's that way in real life and, and just very calm and very kind. Um, you talked about stage musicals, mu- movie musicals. Mm. You got any love for mus- movie musicals? Mm. I, I, not as much, but yes. Um, Chicago, I've, I've probably watched, I don't even know how many times. I was on a plane not too long ago. I watched all that jazz on the way out and the, on the way back um, because I just loved it. So I do, but that wouldn't be my default. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, Karaoke? Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. I'm terrible at it. I'm so bad at it. As much as I, I can perform or speak or whatever, um, yeah, when I'm singing somebody else's song and people are watching, I'm horrible. But you'll do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I don't want to be a like a party pooper. Yeah. But I promise you I'm never going to call you and be like, hey, Mike, you want to go out and do some karaoke tonight? <laughs> you wind up at karaoke. Yeah, I occasion, occasionally, occasionally, and if I'm there and someone's like, "Hey, Chris, will you come do this song?" I'm like, "Sure," but I'm not happy about it. So we normally ask people if they have any TV theme songs committed to memory they would sing with us. We can't do that today because of the board situation. We can't. It, it's Can just I tell you how excited I am? Yeah, I could see the look on your face. Your eyes got big. Um, <laughs> but what would it have been? <laughs> oh, my God. I was like. I think you were ready. I was. Well, I was going. Again, I don't want to be a party pooper. I don't yes, want to be like, exactly. oh, she won't do that. Because um, I don't. But I was going to make up Zoom, like Zoom. Remember that song, that show? I don't. Oh, my good. Because I think you, you are younger than me. So that's exactly why you Zoom. don't. Yeah. Yeah, it was after, I want to, was it after, maybe one of you guys can help me out. Was it after Sesame It was after Electric Company. I remember Electric Company says, Party Sesame with Street. Zoom. What was it called? Party with Zoom. Party with Zoom. Well, well, I mean, I think the entire show is just called Zoom. Yes, yeah. it was. So when Zoom, like what we're all doing now, came out, I was laughing because, of course, that theme is going on in my head. Because Zoom was known as that show when I was growing up. We'll play some. We'll just snip this part out of the podcast. <laughs> so play some so we can at least listen to it together. That would have been really fun to sing together. I am so thankful. Come on in, Zoom. Come on in, Zoom. Come on, do it with me. Come on. <laughs> I am so – I feel like I won Lotto or it's my birthday or something that I didn't have to do that because I want to support your format. But I'm like, that's not going to go well. That is so great. <laughs> no, I don't remember that at all. I must have missed no, that. No, you were – yeah, this was early for me. So you definitely didn't have to put up with that like I did. I certainly remember uh, just not long ago is when Electric Company came up in my brain and I was like, that was a thing, right? And I looked it up and that was definitely oh, yeah. a thing. That was my jam when I was little. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> if you were a championship wrestler then, what song would you enter the arena to? Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's so funny because when you said that, what popped up was a Jason Mraz song <laughs> of living in the moment. But that's just not going to be a championship wrestler song. Um Oh. Well, now that I've listened to R. Kelly's for the past two weeks, it possibly would be one of his songs because he had that, you know, that inner bubbling of, of a jam. But I don't know. I probably would sing my own at this point. Come on in Zoom. Come don't. on in Zoom. <laughs> I'm just so not the championship wrestler type. Well, it could be, it could be anything. 
Happy birthday. You yeah. Can come, you can be the happy birthday wrestler. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, would, it would have to be one of my three artists, that's for sure. And it would just depend on my mood that day. So Let's see what Dave's song would, would oh. suffice. Um, Trip and Billy's would be Trip and Billy's would be great two-step. I would do something like that just like grew, you know. It wouldn't necessarily rally the crowd, but it would be like that intense stir and like it would crescendo. Watchtower, his version of Watchtower does that for and sure. How many times does he play that in the encore? Oh, yeah. And my thing is, okay, I don't want to sit out in that traffic for three hours right. to get home. And, you know, so often, if not always, we don't stay for the encore. And in the parking lot, you hear Watchtower, and my husband just looks at me. <laughs> so, like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> hmm. um, okay, and uh, last question before third song is what kind of cocktail or drink are you? Mm. I think you know about this probably I because we're, we're working do. on this with uh... – I do. So if you asked me that a month ago, I was a Cosmo. But right now – and this is timely. I am a spicy margarita. Mm. A spicy margarita. And not like with a ton of the margarita side. It's going to be three-quarters spicy tequila. Okay. But then we're going to add you know, some of the margarita side. But I'm really jamming – with the conflict of the the spice and then the sweet tartness. Heavy on the spice and the liquor. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and just a little, like a, th- a third to a quarter. And it's funny because I just purchased a beautiful bottle of spicy tequila and this new ginger mango mix that I'm going to be trying in a few hours. <laughs> ginger mango. Yes. It's Ooh. at Total Wine. And I was like, I am getting this, and I'm having some Friday night. <laughs> what is your drink called? Oh, I haven't named it yeah, yet because gotta... I, I'm going to literally concoct it this evening. So when I order it out, I just ask, can you make me a spicy margarita? And there's usually quite a bit of dialogue around it because it's just not as common. Well, give it a brand so we can put it in our cookbook. Oh, well, thank you. I'm going to call it hmm, – not Zoom. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Um, oh, I was going to call it COVID concoction. <laughs> CC's, because those are my initials, CC. CC's, can it be CC's concoction? Yeah, That's absolutely. what we're going to call it. Jared just wrote it down. I love it, Jared. And I'll take a picture of that mix and send it to you. Yeah, definitely. I'm serious. Do. It is special. Uh, okay. Third song. Uh so, again, I already said this before. I really did concentrate on I wanted to honor, you know, a female artist because there's been a, a lot of female artists who've inspired me and fueled me and given me courage or, you know, helped me mend heartbreak or whatever it was. But my third artist is also a gentleman. And along the same lines of why, um, the Zach Brown Band, same thing here, Zach, the Zach Brown Band, um, came into – my lens about six, seven years ago, my best friend <laughs> brought me to a concert up in Tampa. I'd never heard of them before. And um, we were doing an eat and greet behind stage and got to meet the Zach Brown Band. And their um, their energy, they look right at you. Like they're very present. And um, the funny part about that story is that she and I went to the – eat and greet behind stage and then we left Mm. and we went back to our awesome hotel in Hyde Park and we 
went to the lobby bar. Uh, we were going to West Palm a few days later to see the band. So we were like, let's go hang out in Tampa. We'll go see them. So I wasn't even into the band when I got to really meet them. And then when I saw them for the first time, they reminded me of Dave. Huh. In their interconnectivity as a group and how they just really fed off each other. Unlike my experience with Dave Matthews, while other members of the band, as you know, do sing. And sometimes back in the day, Boyd would sing one song or whatever. But it's Dave, right? Um, It's still Zach with the Zach Brown band. But there's just more vocals and they're harmonizing and I, I'm pretty sure we'll hear it in this song because most renditions, it's it's very clear. They sing beautifully together. Mm. So same same story. Um, they stirred something in me. And then, then I got the lyrics, right? And Zach's been my default choice. And we've seen him a dozen times, met him a dozen times. You're going to die. You're a golfer. Uh, friends of ours had tickets to the Masters in Augusta. And um, – the pre-party that they were invited to was 200 people with Zach Brown. Huh. So four days before, they were like, hey, do you want to come up to Augusta? Not go to the Masters, but come see Dave. <laughs> Dave and my husband and I, I'm sorry, see Zach. So we flew up for 24 hours to see Zach in that genre. It was so cool. I think I feel like I've grown up with Zach because I – First, and the experience that I had, because this is about an experience, we went to a charity event at his high school where he was doing, uh, I think, a concert for, I'm going to guess there were 400 of us there, 500 max, and talking about a you know built environment of enjoying it. It's on this little outdoor amphitheater at a high school. Very few people, but this was his home. And he told a story. He brought his now now ex-wife, but he he brought his wife out. And she talked about when she first went on a date with him. And I think it was Marietta or Alpharetta. It was right around the Atlanta area. And they went out. And um, here's Zach, who's n- n- not Zach yet. And he's like, I'm a singer. I'm going to I'm going to change the world. And she's like, okay, weirdo, (laughs) who are you? And I don't know, can you pay your rent kind of thing? And she literally met him, and he was casting a vision of his purpose and who he was well before he was who Mm -hmm. he is today. So I loved hearing that story of, you know, his desire and his drive to step into his full purpose, essence, and being. And that's exactly what he's done. So – he has a camp called Camp Southern Ground that he was a camp kid. And he a lot of his experiences at camp were formative for him. And so he now has this beautiful property in Georgia outside of Atlanta where he hosts kids like him, veterans, um, where you can go connect with nature. He has like an obstacle course that you can't – and it's not – I mean it's a big obstacle course. I would probably not make it to the top of this obstacle course. But it's the opportunity for kids to challenge themselves to succeed. Um, it's They have a huge farm. So the, the folks there can work on the farm. They have a farm-to-table approach to food. It just every just he's about sustainability. He's about Mother Earth. He's about nature. He's about interconnectivity with self and, and environment. And I'm just like, oh my god, this is everything that I'm about. I didn't know anything about this. 
right? You haven't? You didn't know? <laughs> no, I didn't know anything oh. about any of it. Well, that makes me him. happy. Huh. So being um, around his music and and going through five years of major transformation myself, this is, again, another one that he was ahead of me. And there's so many of his songs that I've sang at the top of my lungs and I've heard giant, you know, ball fields sing at the top of their lungs. And now when I finally understand and I'm up to what the song actually means, yeah. I wonder how many other people. Do you guys know what Zach's saying? Right, right. Do you know what Zach's saying? So the song I selected was an experience that I had, which was mind-blowing for me when I literally heard this heard this song for the first time, which is right. literally how we're hearing it, but it was when I understood the song. And I'm like, oh, my God, not only do I just love how this song makes me feel, but this song, Quiet Your Mind, is about, listen, okay, don't live your life up here in your in your head. Okay, quiet your mind, soak it all in. It's a game you can't win. Enjoy the ride. Hmm. Should we listen to it? I'd love to. This is Quiet Your Mind by the Zach Brown Band, which, by the way, do other people call the Zach Brown Band Zach? I don't know, but I do. Because you've got Dave, you got Jason, Jason and, and you got Zach, and two of them are the the band. <laughs> These poor guys have no idea. This is, uh, again, Quiet Your Mind by the Zach Brown Band from the album You Get What You Give, released in 2010. That's the second Zach Brown Band song I've ever heard. Really? And the first one was because of this show. Really? And I would have never guessed that it was like this, because it was Chicken Fried, mm. which is was Cole Peacock's song. <laughs> Which if you haven't heard Cole Peacock's episode, I'm not going to say anymore. Just go back okay. and listen to I it. I love Cole. I have to. Um, God, it's, it's kind of like Queen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? <laughs> it's, like, it's like country music meets Queen. And he's so diverse <laughs> yeah. in chicken fried. Like, and it's funny because it's not that I don't like chicken fried, but it's probably now yeah. my least favorite song because it, it's become so. Well, it's just so to me, like I had just sort of pigeonholed the Zach Brown band as just like pop country, just like, you know, because yep. that's what that is. It's just super pop yep. country. Although through the lens of Cole Peacock's story, it's unbelievably heavy. Mm. I'll leave it at that. But um, that was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I, if you do ever have the opportunity to, to really listen, um, because Country Fight is a deep lyrical song. It has an amazing meaning. Um, but his music, uh, to me, his music is incredibly con- like contemplative. And it's all about how, you know, how are we treating Mother Earth? How are we treating ourselves? How are we interconnecting, letting go? I mean, there's so many songs I wanted to pick for this as my third, but that one I think summed it up. Hmm. Um, you have to beat somewhere at 2.30, right? I do. Okay. We're going to kind of speed round you here. Okay. How far away from that place are you? I'm 30 minutes. Oh, no, no, no. I have to be there at 3. So. At 3. Okay. Okay. Well, then we can we can slow jet. Okay. I was like, okay. okay. I didn't want to no, keep... I don't have to be there at 2.30. I have to leave. You. Oh, okay. Well, then we're fine. <laughs> um, okay. So you, um, you, know, you were a flight attendant, mm-hmm. but then I know you worked – up until fairly recently for Lee Health. You were there for, what, 10 years? How did that come about? And just, you know, sort of what's the quick version of your time there? You were a fundraiser and then you were an administrator? I I was an executive overseeing health and wellness. And uh, I was really blessed. The kids were um, getting out on their own. And um, 
I it was time for me. I was ready to step into the workforce more fully and wholly. And um, I was really lucky that an opportunity crossed where I was interviewed for a position to be a fundraiser to build Galisano Children's Hospital. I didn't know that <laughs> we were talking before about college. I, like in college, no one was like, hey, you could be – a fundraiser and get paid. Right. And I don't even know if I knew what fundraising per se Did was. Did you know what an actuarial was? No, I, <laughs> I think like a parent or somebody was like, you should be an actuarial. Well, they it's probably, a stable job. Well, no, I think I remember seeing that as one of those like best was paying jobs. Was that what it was? Yeah, I still Maybe think Maybe it was this a money day, thing. I, I think, don't know. I think it's like one of those, if you get that credential, you're set. So anyway. And it was so not fitting. As you can you imagine <laughs> me as an actuarial. So when I found out that you could actually – promote and celebrate and rally people around or fund something that's important to you and get paid for it, not just as a volunteer. Yeah. I was like, that's kind of cool. So I was really blessed that Lee Health took me in um, because I didn't have any official experience. Right. But what it was was that passion for connecting people to cause or you know people to people. It was an amazing five years to be able to step into that project. It, it literally changed my life. But it was while I was experiencing that, that I had a health transformation. It's so interesting that we're on this topic because um, I was a vegan triathlete at the time. So you would think I was like really healthy. But I found out through some blood work that I actually had chronic disease. I had over 100% of an autoimmune issue with inflammation. And I was having great challenges understanding what I, why, why, <laughs> Why is my inflammation literally over 100 percent? And I knew that in the state of inflammation, disease is created. So I was very scared. And I'm like, well, I eat great. I work out. What the heck's my problem? And long story short, I found out that it was my mind-body connection. I was was literally stressing my body out um, because of unhealed trauma, because of wanting to control my environment so I felt safe. And um, I had blown out my digestive tract. So it, it, that's, you know, quiet your mind. Yeah. Being in touch, letting go, um, all that kind of good stuff. So when I went through that discovery, I was very passionate about health. And so I was blessed that Lee Health moved me over to a position where we could start talking about health and well-being and prevention and all that good stuff through not only food and exercise, but also through stress and sleep and our mental health. Mm-hmm. And then the sixth component that we led that lens through is purpose. And I didn't necessarily understand what that meant, but I grew into understanding that when you know who you are and you know why you are, it makes your your well-being and your health really wonderful. So I had 10 years with Lee Health, and it was an amazing experience. Um, then when the pandemic hit, they offered packages. Sure. Yeah, and uh, I was able to take one of those and, and exit my career at Lee Health. Was music ever a part of that time? Mm, definitely. It was st- this, this actually. I bet there were some fundraisers with music. Oh, all. heck yeah. <laughs> and there was, you know, fundraisers, um, you know, that incorporated live music and or experiences. One of, one of my experiences to see Zach, um, we bought an auction item at a summer fundraiser for Galisano and went up to Fenway and saw Zach and had some cool experiences because of that. So music definitely thread through the fundraising and also the health and well-being. You know, music lights us up. Music yeah. connects us um, to self and to one another and to Mother Earth. So music's just, I think, a thread throughout it all. Did you work with Doug McGregor over there? Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. And, right? Music, art. Yeah, no, yeah. A hundred percent. Love Doug. Huh. And then so you left Lee Health and you have since written a book. I did write a book. Tell us about that. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to 
leave you a copy today as a thank you for having me here. Um, I ended up, as I was exiting my career, I decided to sit down and just reflect because there's just been so much that's transpired and um, really tying what my now understanding of well-being is and that mind-body connection. And so I, I was really lucky to enter a program out of Georgetown University that was virtual. And it was a five-month experience where they led you through writing a book, supported you. I didn't worry about if I would ever publish it or if anybody would read it. I just wanted the experience of kind of halfway through my century, <laughs> stopping and pausing and just seeing, you know, what, what, what experiences are bubbling up, just like this experience with you. You know, I spent an entire afternoon in my house with headphones on just reminiscing, you know, what comes up, what stories come up that moved me and what songs were there. And We and, give our guests homework. And it, but it, <laughs> you give your guests a gift. Well, I thank you. You do. It's, yeah. a, it's this opportunity to pause and reflect. And that's exactly what this experience with you did and also what the book writing did. So after a couple months, these 29 stories were there. And I didn't know what the book was about, you know, what the point was. I just knew that there was this opportunity to download experience. And then when I read what I had chosen to write or what I was given to write, I should say, um, there was a beautiful theme about my aha moments, whether they were through joy or whether they were through struggle. And there were a lot that were through struggle. So, um, yeah, I ended up publishing it. And if people want to read it, that's wonderful. And if it's not for them, that's fine, too. And it's called what? It's called Her Phoenix Rising. And it's so cool because when you start the program, they want you to have a title so that you have something that you can kind of start feeling like is, you know, a thing. So you can't just say I'm writing a book and, like, you don't call it anything. So, like, what the heck? I don't even know what I'm going to write about. Never mind. What am I going to call it? So three different people this one particular week I was chatting on the phone with. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm writing a book. Well, what's it about? So I kind of explain. And the first person's like, oh, her phoenix rising. I'm like, well, I guess so. That's kind of weird. I've never heard that before. Second person, same thing. Huh. Third person, and these people are not connected. <laughs> right. When the third person said her Phoenix Rising, I'm like, okay, I hear you. Let's start by calling it her Phoenix Rising. And then through the journey, I just never was motivated to change it. And then I went and looked at the domain name. It's available. You know, just like it was hilarious. Yeah. It was so meant to be. But it's really a story about like kind of, you know, <clears throat> burning to the core mm-hmm. and, you know, getting rid of all the – exterior reasons and just really getting in touch with who I am and um, not coming out as like now everyone has to listen to what I have to say or I need to burn the house down. It's not like an angry thing. It's actually the opposite. It's a very calm, surreal experience to just be comfortable and I am who I am and that works for me and a few other people and yeah, imagine a world where if we were all just comfortable with who we were and we're healed. Sounds pretty good. <laughs> Let's go there. It's like Star Trek. Yes, it's exactly <laughs> like Star Trek. Um, okay, now it's time for your speed round. Let's do it. Um, if you had to guess, which song would you say you've listened to the most times in your life? Ants Marching. Oh, I was going to give you a follow-up question to say yeah. which Dave song, but it's <laughs> Ants Marching. Um, <laughs> what would you say is the most overplayed song of all time? I can't do it to Cole. Oh, okay. <laughs> you just did, though. <laughs> Wasn't that, wasn't that something <laughs> that was nice. like, yeah. Um, 
Are there any songs in particular that you'll avoid listening to because you don't want to have to be associated with where they take you? Johnny Mathis. Oh, a particular song? No. You're just, just done with you're just done done with Johnny Mathis. Yep, this is a great chapter, but I'm through it. Gotcha. Um, if you could broadcast a song into the head of every person on the planet simultaneously, which would you choose? Oh gosh, I love that question. Mm. Don't drink the water. Okay. That's Dave Matthews, by the way. It is Dave Matthews. Um, If you could do, 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 oh, that was that one. Um, Are there any musicians that you've got into recently that you would want to shout out to? Or are you just like, it would have to be a band that had band at the end, and it would have to be named after a person. (laughs) If I was to go outside of that, um, just to be a little diverse in my tripod. Um, I'm trying to think of the name. It was uh, Greta. Thank you. I came up with it. Greta Van Fleet. Oh, I've heard of that. Right. So right before COVID, um, I mean, these guys are like 20, 21. Now they're probably 24 or five. And um, we just started tracking with them. And my husband brought, of course, brought it into our lives. And they are ridiculously talented. And we were in Philly, Philadelphia, to go see them for the first time ever in a really cool setup. Um, And they canceled because the lead singer got sick. And then COVID hit like two months later. I have no idea where they're at musically, you know, professionally, personally, but that was a a newer band for me that I feel like would have been my fourth if I had a fourth song um, if they had had not had to kind of shut down because of COVID. So I want to give them a shout out to keep going because I think they're bringing um, a whole new generation up with their raw talent and their message. When you were back in college, did you refer to the Steve Miller band as Steve? No, but I prefer to Boston is Boston. (laughs) Boston, the band. Um, uh, Best album of all time. Mm, Joshua Tree. Um, Album you would choose to listen to if you only had one. Zach Brown's greatest hits. You live without Dave. Mm. Because what what album by Dave, right? You have to have them all. Um, What would your 14-year-old self think of who you are here today? She wouldn't, I, she wouldn't recognize me, but I think she'd be very happy and proud. Would she be surprised at the amount of live music you've seen? Yes, because I think back then it was much more, rec- you know, recorded. And now I need, I, I need the energy of live. Understood. Um, that reminds me of something I just heard the other day. <clears throat> I don't even know what was on. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was on NPR, though. Um, because there was a point in time before we could record music that if you were in the presence of music, you were in the presence of people making music. There was no other way to do it. I know it sounds obvious, but it kind of crystallized something for me that, that the world changed in some ways when music could be portableized. And suddenly you could be listening to music by yourself before nobody listened to music by themselves unless they were one person making music and alone in a room. Anyway, I just thought that I'd throw that out there because it kind of reframed music for me. Well, and thinking about that, I, I love that reframing because so many things just went through my mind. <clears throat> but think about as the artist. Yeah. Like just watching all of my favorite artists. But Dave, I mean, he's intensely looking at the crowd. Like, 
are you do you get what i'm say? are you, you taking this in yeah and the energy that they feed off of off of the audience so i'm now in a recording studio and that's just different is that really trippy is that an inner journey because they're not connecting with audience right exactly they're connecting to an audience and maybe you can put yourself in that audience that they connected to because music live music is to me like time travel in a way you're kind of back in that place in that you know in that moment but you're not really there so anyway um, I told you the show goes where it goes. I and it like goes where it. it goes. I like it. Okay, it is time for you to recommend your three people. So I think a very interesting conversation would be with Angela Melvin. Oh. She's a su- Oh, from um uh, the, the house. She she's the founder and the one CEO that we, of Valerie's house. The one that we always accidentally call Angela's house. Right, yeah. right. Angela uh, Melvin. Well it yeah. is it is Angela's house in honor of her mother. And well, it's um, Valerie's house. Right. It is her mom's Valerie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and I'm getting to know her on a whole new level right now. I've known her for about a half a year. I'm sorry, a half a, a decade. But she's a, just such a beautiful soul that is really authentic and, and vulnerable on her journey. And um, I would love to hear some of those um, points in her life. Cool. One. That was number one. Uh, number two, another incredibly deep soul who's just an incredibly strong, brave woman, um, and that's Sarah Owen. She's um, just someone that I've always, for a decade now, I've just admired as someone who is going to stay true to who she is, um, irrespective. So I really have mad, ass, mad kudos and admiration for her. Sarah, we should do it live at the collaboratory. A hundred percent. Have if you seen you're that? Po- have you seen that podcast studio? Um, I, only when they were very first building it, I got to see just kind of. I was in there for it's a long. Killer. Long. Cool. You'll love it. Okay. Um, third person, and this isn't a family plug, but third person would be my stepson. Mm. My stepson, Brendan, is just such a – he's a local kid who's, you know, just been through a lot. He's really driven, but he has such a beautiful heart. He has such a beautiful heart. And I think, you know, we were talking earlier about the different age groups, right? And um, Brendan is a quiet guy um, who just gives of his whole heart unsolicited and uncelebrated and – I think that would be a really deep conversation. Sounds great to me. Let's make them all happen. Let's do it. Any final thoughts? I just want to express gratitude for, you know, the space that you hold. Um, This was a really deep introspection for me um, to reflect on how music has threaded through my journey. And it took me to places I didn't want to go. It took me to places I'm so thankful for. And that's what life is, is that whole up and down and I've really enjoyed this experience. Thank you. Thank you. And we are thankful that we get to do it. That's beautiful. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and host. Chris Duffus is executive producer. This episode was engineered by Jared the Intern Gonzalez. Our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. 
For this week's parting tune, we're delving back into episode 148, guest Mark Massaro and his love of Dave. His second song was the live version of Warehouse, performed on September 24th, 2003 in Central Park in New York City. Mark talked about how he wasn't quite sure what to think when he first heard the Dave Matthews Band. He said his 90s brain just didn't understand what was happening. But then he realized they were improvising and doing other things 90s bands just were not. Then when he went to his first Dave show, he was immediately hooked by the scene, the vibe, the energy, the people, all of it. Warehouse is kind of like the door to like becoming a hardcore Dave fan because you have all the radio crap, which is fine for what it is. But then like once you become like kind of a, the people that travel around, it's like deadheads just following him. Warehouse is like the ideal song that he plays. You were at that show or no? No, I wasn't at the Central Park show. Oh, you can feel it. Were you a fan by then? Oh, yeah. I've been a fan since, like, okay. 96, 97. I remember listening to them on my headphones on the walk to, like, my first day of middle school. Last day of middle school, leaving with them on. Driving to high school, last day, then playing. Driving to college, then playing. Like, they've always just been a constant. They being Dave. Yeah. Well, Dave's... You can just go up to someone and be like, Dave? Yes. And they'd be like, yeah. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. Yes, so excited. Like $200. Oh my goodness, I'm rich. Like a professional musician now.